And welcome back. And also, a uh, happy new year to all of our listeners joining us here on TBS EFM this morning. Uh, as I've said, this is going to be a special episode where we take a look back at the year 2020 as well as uh, look forward for this new year. And we're going to choose a group of different topics and discuss them with our wonderful panelists. And let me introduce our panelists for the first hour of the program. They are familiar voices uh, for regular listeners to our show. First, we have from Hongik University College of Law, Professor Cho Hee-kyung. Professor Cho, Happy New Year. Thank you for joining us. Good morning and Happy New Year to you too. As well, joining us from independent um, legal researcher at Laquant LLC, Professor Cheng Huang. Professor Huang, Happy New Year to you as well. Happy New Year to you too. So what we have decided to do is we're going to have um, uh, a look at these topics. In the second hour, we're going to look at the same topics as well, but with um, a group of panelists perhaps looking at it from a more uh, conservative uh, vantage point with Professors uh, Song Se-ryang and Dr. Pong Yong-sik. And in this first offer, we'll uh, look at it, um, I-, I wouldn't say necessarily progressive point of view, maybe uh, contrarian, because I've spoken with both of you um, long enough now that uh, often I, I hear heterodox um, opinions on-, on various issues that, that are very diverse and-, and interesting as always. So uh, I look forward to this discussion with both of you. Professor Cho, we're going to begin uh, first with COVID-19, obviously the biggest a news event by far all over the world. And um, really with Korea, the initial reporting on this and subsequently, and I would still say to a large extent, uh, uh, this uh, view still stands, uh, the success of the so-called K-quarantine or how relatively successful Korea has been uh, compared to the rest of the world. What would you be your thoughts overall? So certainly in the initial months, Actually, right at the very beginning, when the, the the pandemic broke out, we were one of the first countries affected. Obviously, our proximity to China made that uh, much more risky. And there were some dire warnings, but then we uh, managed to implement a very effective method, uh, the three Ts, mm-hmm. uh, test, trace, and treat. Uh, and we really seem to uh, have had you know, our grip on the virus would really be on top of it. But then perhaps we got a little bit complacent and and all these sort of praise about K-quarantine, as you say, uh, maybe went to our head. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what we didn't realize is the danger of these asymptomatic cases where uh, people don't show any signs of having uh, the the, the virus, but actually transmit to other people. And um, as we sort of relaxed the social distancing uh, and despite the experts' warnings, we are really sort of having a rough time in this third wave of the virus. And we are really still not seeing the end of it. Um, and I do fear that the government was a little bit a little bit slow in reacting to it. Mm-hmm. And I do look at countries like uh, New Zealand or Taiwan or even Australia where they took uh, immediate action. I recall when New Zealand basically went into a lockdown after they found maybe three or four cases after the initial wave. And I thought there was just a little bit too much at the time. But in hindsight, uh, perhaps what we should have done was to actually increase the level of social distancing 
at the outset when we were having like two or three hundred cases per day uh, and really sort of try to get that under control. And now we are really struggling with the hospitals at their limit uh, with um, capacity for patients uh, really sort of um, being limited and so on. And it's very interesting because I I don't think a lot of Koreans... um, necessarily, in, at least in the beginning, like to hear that the idea that there were actually countries that were doing a good job, maybe even better than Korea, even from the initial stages. Taiwan, as you say, uh, New Zealand, mm-hmm. I would argue some some people would feel Vietnam also mm-hmm. uh, did mm-hmm. a, a very good job mm-hmm. and have, have continued to do so as well. Very different uh, countries with very different populations and mm-hmm. governing structures. Professor Huang, during all our discussions during the um, radio salon segments, you've always been hammering home that this has to always be priority. And, and we've always tried to bring in other political issues to discuss and prosecution. <laughs> I, I remember you would always go and say, yeah, but what about the pandemic? <laughs> Should we be focusing on that first? What do you think has happened? And how do you think, I mean, you would still, if it's all said and done, rather still be here physically than, let's say, uh, back in the U.S., right? Well, I mean, you know, as Professor Cho mentioned, you know, New Zealand sounds really good, but, you know, it's <laughs> probably the be- one of the You probably won't best. get in there, right? Yeah. Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> you know, they basically create a real bubble where, yeah. you know, they're sort of celebrating end of pandemic within their country, but, you know, basically there's no travel in or out of New Zealand or, uh, right now. I mean, well, and, and it's the same case for Korea, too, in the two, you know, large ex- uh, extent since, you know, but any, for most people coming into South Korea, you have to quarantine for two weeks. So it's, you know, basically killed any well, most kind of international travel in South Korea, affecting a large number of people. But having said that, I think, you know, before the pandemic, most people would have said it, you know, countries like United States and United, United Kingdom are probably the countries that are, you know, having a very high end healthcare, public healthcare yeah. uh, infrastructure to deal with. I mean, you know, in fact, our own case, CDC is sort of more modeled after America's CDC. But in fact, you know, in the, the, the latest figures, the U.S. has about 350,000 deaths related to COVID-19 and U.K., over 70,000. I mean, certainly, I mean, those are not countries that you want to be if you're South Korean. So from that perspective, I mean, the South Korea has done, you know, admirable job and kind of the you know, struggle that we're having is, you know, not to, you know, not for us all to become another New York or London, basically. Yeah, and we've managed to avoid doing that. And I think the point of pride of a lot of people, even though it's compared maybe unfavorably to New Zealand, is that Korea has been able to be relatively successful without having to completely um, shut down the economy. And that's one, I guess, distinction that Koreans like to make. Very briefly from both of you before we leave this issue and move on to our next topic is, do you see some light at the end of the tunnel in 2021? We're already seeing vaccinations come out in pretty fairly uh, sizable uh, amounts in the UK and in the US and other uh, European countries that uh, maybe towards the middle of 2021, hopefully if things go well um, and despite all this, uh, we can get some semblance of normalcy. The fact that we have got uh, uh, successful vaccines, well, successful so far, um, uh, obviously bodes well for next year, but... uh, we will still be wearing masks well throughout 2021. We will still be doing most of our activities in an untacked manner. Uh, I think I will still be teaching mostly online mm. next year. Mm. Um, and so, yes, indeed, there is light at the end of the tunnel, but it's still a bit of a pinpoint. You know, <laughs> you're yeah. not really uh, getting very close there yet. Um, you're right. We are doing much better than some other countries, even uh countries like Germany, Italy, uh, France, uh, in Europe. But I do speak to my friends around the world. And for example, even within Australia, the state of Queensland basically locked down. But for the last six months, people around there have been able to go around without 
actually having to wear masks. Mm. Students are attending schools normally. And so um, draconian measures perhaps do have their place. Yeah. Final thoughts on uh, this topic? Well, I guess it's a somewhat long final thought, but I mean, one thing that we we've seen is that although South Korea has done better than you know a lot of other advanced countries, we've seen you know our GDP kind of shrink by about you know one percentage points. And given the fact that usually South Korea grows at around you know people say kind of you know middling two percent, that that means that we had a gap of about three percent in GDP, and that's purely on you know rough economic measures you know measured by GDP. And I hope that you know government sort of realizes that well. You know, cost to the entire economy, apart from all the human human costs, is about three percent of the GDP, and that's kind of the money that we should be willing to throw at the problem. And you know, to the extent that your vaccines can end the pandemic, and the government doesn't yeah. seem to be you know anywhere near. You know, pre- preparing itself to you know throw up to three percent of GDP at the number. I mean, I I feel you know the government should be thinking a little harder about you know how, kind of the size of the problem as well as the resources that can right. be thrown at the problem. And not to be too Pollyannish uh, once again, but uh, that negative one point one. Uh, projection for uh, 2020 would still be top in in OECD compared to the devastated countries, uh, mostly in the West, who have been uh, having to lock down their t- entire economies. Moving on to the uh, second topic, then I'll, let's start with you, uh, Professor Huang. Politics, uh, certainly a very eventful year in politics as well. And I think to a large extent affected by the pandemic, uh, particularly in the uh, April general elections, where a large part the government's uh, performance in handling COVID-19 really ushered the ruling party into victory. And I think we can also credit the main opposition's um, dysfunctional uh, attitude and uh, kind of kind of bizarre campaign tactics, uh, uh, to say the least. The result of the April general elections was that the ruling party won, um, we keep hearing this figure, 180, but, uh, you know, to to quibble over details, it's a little less than that. But if you align with some of the other independent or minor parties, it comes out to a 180 voting block. Overall, uh, what do you think so far? Well, I mean, so... Now, uh, the ruling party came to control the Blue House as well as the National Assembly with a number that can actually override the filibuster. So which meant that, you know, ruling party could do, you know, with you know enough political focus, do whatever he wants. And you kind of really uh, help wonder, you know, you know, they focused on a few problems and, and they actually passed a bunch of uh, legislations which may or may not have, you know, huge impact mm-hmm. in the future. But so far, it hasn't quite, you know, uh, caught on people's imagination to the extent that yeah, they got the power and they really got some uh, something done. I think over that point, I think the you know jury is still out. Yeah. What about you? They've completely squandered this humongous <laughs> gift that was given to them by the the, the population, uh, as Professor Hong just mentioned. <sighs> There were so many things that they ha- could have done. With, there was an with audible their sigh there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, I look at what is going on with the, the major industrial accidents uh, bill oh, that we is just still talked about that a yeah, recently. Um, uh, being debated. And the ruling party managed to uh, ram through the National Assembly a number of really unpopular measures uh, and enacted them into law. But this particular one, uh, you know, it's been um, introduced, what, almost three years ago uh, by the Justice Party, uh, the, the then late Noh uh, Chan. And the fact that they still haven't actually managed to pass it and the, the fact that they 
actually amended it so that every, every real, uh, you know, measure that was designed to save lives in the workplace were actually taken yeah. out of the bill. I think it just speaks to the, uh, the the standard that the ruling party actually practices nowadays, and uh, also sort of shows why people are really feeling betrayed by the trust well, they p l a c e Well, I think yeah. I've made this point before. There is a reason why the Uri Minju Party exists, because there is a group, maybe it's a minority, but a group of uh, ostensibly ruling party supporters who feel that this ruling party is toothless and they do not exercise the power when they have it. If you compare to, let's say, Mitch McConnell in, in the Republican Senate over in the U.S., he is ruthless when it comes to utilizing all the levers of power available to him, and he doesn't matter about The, he doesn't care about the optics of what, what the press says about him, how people might curse him. If it's about keeping Republicans in power, he will uh, try to exploit that advantage. And that is not being done by the current ruling party. But I feel like you're more different. Maybe they're more of a centrist party, but you feel that they are in, ineffective in other ways as well. Well, I mean, it remains to be seen. I mean, uh, for example, the, the measures they've introduced, well, not at the National Assembly level, but at the government level, related to real estate policies has be, have become, you know, kind of bellwether for how unpopular the, the, the measures have been. So basically, you know, with all the power comes on the res- responsibility. And so far, you know, they haven't quite you know, shown the good to the people saying that, yes, we got the power, but we haven't quite, you know, shown the results that people really can support and rally around. The... Then you would say falling popularity in approval rating for the president, also for the uh, correspondingly for the ruling party. And we've seen a, a, a bit of a rise for the main opposition. However, however, I, I don't think you would make the point then, Professor Cho, that because this uh, wimpy uh, ruling party hasn't been able to enact their agenda, that uh, the uh, People's Power Party, the Kuminehim, are going to be the viable alternative for future elections ne- necessarily. They still haven't. The, the People's Uh, sorry, the People's Power Party still haven't really got their house in order, uh, and it, that's very visible to to the people. Uh, their, you know, most viable candidate for the, the the presidential election in two years' time is a, is somebody who's not even a, a politician and and not a member of their party. So what does that say about them? Um, but at the same time, I don't know whether the ruling party is just toothless, but or they have essentially uh, misrepresented themselves and yeah. what they stand for to the people. I feel like they're the conservative party of this country. Uh, totally. You know, um, the only progressive party that we have in Korean politics is really uh, those minority parties like the Justice Party, uh, the Green Party, the Women's Party, but they have no effective political power. Um, the DP, the D- Democratic Party, have represented, represented themselves as if they were the progressive parties, mainly because they, a lot of their members had engaged in the, the struggle for democratization in the past years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that was something you know, that you had to do, even if you weren't a progressive you know, in those times. And so uh, once they some, seem to be somehow drunken on power, but in a really ineffective way, yeah. uh, and yet they're not really d- doing the job that they're They were actually elected to do by the people. And so I always say, you know, after hubris comes nemesis. And we are really seeing that big time with DP. Well, uh, you mentioned, and we've kind of highlighted the 
the uh, act with punishing corporations for workplace uh, accidents. That uh, is one representative issue where has frustrated ruling party uh, supporters who believe that the 180 votes, short of constitutional reform, allows them to pass whatever legislation they want, damn the consequences. However, uh, the ruling party being very mindful of the consequences seems to uh, be a little bit um, less reticent to do so. Uh, I think uh, you mentioned also, uh, Professor Huang, that um, fiscal restraint and and, uh, talking about balanced budgets are ridiculous in the time of crisis like this. It's it's, it's kind of ironic that this ruling party, as well as the government led by um, Finance Minister Hong Nam-gi, they have been the most miserly aspects in Korean politics in regards to debating over who gets the funds, how much should it be, whether it be means-tested, and that's another kind of aspect of this uh, cautious approach by the ruling party that has probably frustrated some people. Yeah, I mean, if the discussion is middle of, you know, the kind of economic expansion where, you know, things are sort of going well and there's no, you know, huge economic, you know, handicapping going on, I mean, I can totally understand why they will be mindful of the fiscal restraint, but, you know, it is in the pandemic I mean, of course, you're going to have a fiscal deficit since, you know, as we mentioned before, the economy is shrinking. The tax, uh, you know, t- uh, you know, tax revenue is, isn't as high as possible. There are a lot of people out there who are really struggling. And, you know, you know, once in a, uh, a century pandemic, the government should be, you know, flooding in the economy with money. I mean, it is the kind of the lender of last yeah. resort. And I, I think it's kind of you know sad that the mentality of the government is kind of typified by you know the vice prime minister Hong Nam who says, "Well, we'll do everything within fiscal restraint." I mean, you know, would they say that if we are in the middle of a war? I mean, you know, basically yeah. we're in a war against you know coronavirus, and he doesn't really think appear to think so. And that is why, again, the accusations that the, this government and this ruling party are socialist commies who are hell-bent on, on, you know, a government taker of all things, it's just it, that argument falls flat. Speaking of which, and it transitions to both of your guys' um, expertise, and that is the one major issue for the ruling party and the government has been prosecutorial reform in the midst of this pandemic it's been highlighted and symbolized by the personal battle between Justice Minister Chumie and Prosecutor General Yoon Seok-yeol. It seems to have come to a head now uh, at the end of this year uh, with a couple of uh, court setbacks for the Justice Ministry and supporters of people like Cho Guk, the former Justice Minister, and his wife, Professor Jung Kyung Shim. Uh, can you just go over overall what you think has happened with prosecutorial reform? The lofty goals of actually having a prosecution system that we deserve, you know, that, the one that stands for justice, fairness, uh, and actually enforcing the law has really just turned into a quagmire of personal vendetta uh, between, it feels like, between Chumia and Yun Songyeol. But nobody comes out of this whole incident smelling of roses, not the prosecution, not the Justice Ministry, not the government, and not even the court Mm -hmm. um, most recently. And so I feel that this whole uh, approach that the the Justice Ministry um, has taken has really backfired on them. So we we talked about the, you know, sort of the spinelessness of the the DP, the ruling party, uh, before. But in the past, when... Uh, the government or the Blue House wanted to get rid of a prosecutor general that they didn't like. 
what they would do is basically, basically dig up some uh, really nasty dirt about their so personal background. So do the Choi Dong-wook playbook and uh, spread Pretty rumors much. about the uh, illegitimate son and then force enough of a meter firestorm to get Whether him out. Whether it be illegitimate son or you know, other kind of scandal. Right. Uh, and, and, and essentially force them out of the office uh, by uh, resignation. Uh, now, the This uh, government basically tried to go down the, the legitimate path and actually found faults with the way Yoon Sung Yeol has conducted his job. And there are certainly a lot of faults to be found with the way uh, Yoon has really um, used this prosecutorial power for essentially not uh, personal ends, but, but essentially mm-hmm. turned it into kind of personal justice. Um, but they were too sloppy. I'm talking about the Justice Ministry, uh, and too impatient and essentially ended up sort of trip, tripping over themselves and didn't really manage to get the job done. Yeah. And now we've had the Blue House apologizing uh, and the actual goal of prosecutorial reform is really sort of, I, I feel that it's not yeah. really being uh, effectively done. And Professor Huang, before you say the pandemic is more important, we should focus our energies on that. I do want to get your thoughts on what you've seen so far in 2020. Have I been sounding like a, a broken clock a little too much? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that, uh, Henry, you haven't uh, booted me off this. this no, no. I, keeping your just, eyes on the ball is a very important thing. And so, you know, we know where our priorities are at. However, uh, this... thing, and I think largely because of the media and the way they want to cover this, has really sucked all the oxygen out of the room. Chumie versus Yoon Seok-yeo, prosecution reform versus anti-reform. Oh, on the other, other hand, you know, the Ministry of Justice and you know, Prosecutor General Yoon have provided plenty of you know, bullets for uh, the media to report on as if this is you know, kind of a, the seventh game of a Korea series, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. kind of a Yoon versus Chu is, is like you know, a big boxing match. On the other hand, you know, uh, looking at the glass half full point of sense, I mean, the ruling party still managed to push through the, the legislation and revision uh, on Gong Su Cheo. Has taken away the veto power from the, the opposition party uh, appointed Gong Su Cheo commissioners. And also, you know, some, many of the investigatory power Powers of the prosecution have been taken away, and now there are talks about just kind of taking away all investigatorial powers from the uh, prosecutor's office. So, you know, in that sense, I think, you know, institutional details about how to sort of look at uh, how to, you know, kind of manage and control and maybe even, you know, minimize the prosecutorial powers have have advanced. So let's see if those measures will will work. I mean, you know, Gong Su Cho has potential to, you know, curtail some of the accesses of the prosecutor's office just because, you know, no one else could actually investigate what they do. But now We, we potentially have a, a government body that can you know, place a real check. So hopefully, you know, you know, this will be you know, some restraint on the excesses of the prosecutor's office. Gong Su Cho uh, or the CIO, uh, very important, maybe even symbolic uh, step towards uh, prosecutorial reform. Two candidates being nominated. Already hearing grumblings over Yi Gunli about, oh, former Kim and Chang prosecutor. And, you know, like maybe mm-hmm. we can't have this guy might be potentially uh, iffy to have. Uh, overall, though, do you think we are on that path? I know Professor Kim Gi Chang, another panelist, has said that more important than Gong Su Cho itself would be that separation of investigative rights, mm-hmm. powers, mm-hmm. And, and just leave indictments to the prosecution like any other normal country like the U.S. Right. And so now there's even a new bill that is proposing to set up mm-hmm. a, a new body that simply uh, does indictment uh, and, and some investigation. But I'm going to make two predictions here. The first is some, sometime before long, they are going to 
through the day when they actually set up this Gongsucho or, or the high-level mm-hmm. um, uh, investigation office because uh, all the things that they've been criticizing about the prosecution, uh, they are doing exactly the same with the Gongsucho. And people say, well, it's the, the, their size is much smaller and the, the uh, people that they're supposed to investigate and prosecute are very limited. And so that minimizes the risk. But... Uh, in the hands of somebody who wants to exploit the powers that Gong Sucha has, it is very exploitable. And I've yet to see a, a model like Gong Sucha that has really worked out in other countries. And so um, I, I think we're actually creating a much bigger headache for mm. ourselves later in the, down the track. The second is the only people, not the only, but you know, the people with the biggest smiles right now are the police. They've uh, had all this power uh, transferred them to them from the prosecution, uh, from the National Intelligence Office, and it's going to be massive. And the, the thing is, the police is much more decentralized than these two mm. other bodies. And so it's actually much more difficult to control them uh, or, or not control them, but essentially supervise them uh, to make sure that they're not abusing their power. And even now, corruption and abuse are, you know, things that are not actually uh, uncovered, but right. it's just a literal can of, can of worms. And so, again, before long, I'm, I, have, I am afraid that we are going to see some huge scandals and corruptions with regard to the police. All right. Well, um, very pessimistic uh, way to end the first half of this uh, discussion with our two panelists, uh, Professor Huang and uh, Professor Cho. We're going to take a short break. We're going to continue to look at the year 2020, maybe give some predictions for 2021 as well as we continue our uh, special edition coverage of this morning here in this New Year's. Stay tuned. You are listening to This Morning. 